This afternoon, my topic is uh, shaking number three, today's challenges. And uh, this will bring you to the very time in which we are living. And, uh, you know, you never realize how clear after this presentation you will be sensitive to the streams of doctrine that are going around us. And if you know where the wind is blowing, then you can be calm and thank the Lord that he has guided the majority of our church in the right direction. Because it would be tragic if you see all kinds of things go left and forth and you don't even know where our church stands. And so at this time, I try to reveal where the majority of our church stands. And we can praise the Lord that he guided our church through the Bible and the writings of Ellen Knight. And uh, this is then the most important presentation that I'm going to make. But we need to have the Holy Spirit enlighten our understanding. So let us ask the Lord to bless our prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us. Give us deeper insight in what is going on and how we can be a support of the church as we are a part of the Advent Remnant Movement. Thank you so much, Father. Send your Holy Spirit that we may understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the shaking anyway? I will have a few summary statements before we are going to look here what is taking place right around us. The biblical insights, as we have seen, about the shaking in Scripture are as follows. The shaking reveals God's faithful remnant. Is that a good thing? Yes, because we are not need to, to be confused. Here is God's remnant. The Lord uses a shaking to revive his people. You think that that is good? Do we need a revival? Yes. The shaking is associated with the judgment on the persecutors of God's people. Is that good news? Again, good news. And then God shakes out the oppressors of his people. So the good people will not be shaken out. They will remain. But those that are not faithful cannot stand anymore the truth. And will leave. Keep it in mind. Those that will leave during the shaking are not the true people. They will stay with the ship, no matter what. And that purification is a painful experience, but it is necessary. And so our observation is, the enemies persecute God's people and are shaken out, and it reveals God's 
faithful people. <coughs> Spirit of prophecy, the shaking is in the future. A review of those, the shaking times. Yes, the shaking, testing time will come to everyone regarding the mark of the beast. Now, presently, we are not yet in that critical situation. We know the mark of the beast. It has to do with Sabbath and Sunday. But we don't need to be afraid yet because it is not the topic of the present administration. Congress, the Senate, no. It is to purify God's church and his people. It will divide the church into two parties. And if people say, yeah, we have to be united, 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 yeah, you can say that, but ultimately the two cannot walk together. It brings the latter rain and the loud cry of Revelation 18, verse 1. That light that will shine all over the world and will call people out of Babylon. It call God's people that are in Babylon, in all the fallen churches, it will call them back. The shaking is now. So we have seen the shaking in the future, especially without the mark of the beast, but now there is also a present shaking. And the shaking began in 1850. There was an, an, an uh, it was affirmed in the 1880s, in the 60s, in the 80s, in the 90s. So it is kind of waves. And do we see presently a wave? That's the question. So the summary, the shaking is caused by a reaction to the straight testimony. If there's no straight testimony, the good and the bad can enjoy it, and the bad are not disturbed by it. The testimony results in disunity, fighting against it. The acceptance leads to repentance and obedience. Disregard of the testimony leads to conflict. It is caused by the rebellion against the truth. So there will be a rebellion against those things. It is caused by the introduction of false theories that affects the surface readers of the scriptures, which fits the tenor of their feelings of bitterness. So if you are solid study of the Bible, student of the Bible, it will not affect you because you know. But surface readers are very much easily disturbed by those things. So has the shaking begun? Is there a shaking taking place since the 2015 General Conference? What was the reaction to the vote? Interesting, the vote that was taken. Remember the vote, what it was? Are people allowed to go on their own with the ordination of women or not? Can they or can they not? 
Yes, very positive the vote was for a majority, but it was very negative to a minority. How should we deal with today's situation? What are the current challenges? Yes, we have seen the judgment of God falling upon our nation, not only our nation, but throughout the world. And that is, of course, a picture of the beginning of a shaking. Then, secondly, the actions of the 2010 General Conference forms the background to the 2015 General Conference. Are there here people who attended the 2015 conference? Uh, some. We were delegates there, and uh, we enjoyed this very, very much. The decisions, however, were made of the 2010 General Conference in regard to the sensitive issue. At this session, 2010, there was a request for an official church study on ordination. That was requested, it was allowed, and so the General Conference Administration informed the session of the, of the commitment, quote, to establish a process to review the subject of ordination and will report back to the annual council during the quinquennium, which is the period of 2010 to to 15. And so, finally, after so many years of debating on this issue, the general government said, now is the time to get something together officially and study it and let us then act according to the outcome. So, it was an attempt, quote, to bring about an understanding of what a theology of ordination was, end quote. So here then is a committee formed that was the General Conference Theology of Ordination Study Committee, abbreviated TOSC, Theology of Ordination Study Committee, that was established. And uh, its membership included more than 100 persons of both genders, male and female, serving the church as theologians, pastors, administrators, and laypersons, mostly from the North American division. They met for two times in 2013 and two times in 2014. There it is. Here you see the session of the people coming together. My wife and I were delegates on that uh, committee. And so what are, are the results? After two years of study, first of all, there were disagreements. And the disagreement was that the study committee did not agree on a biblical position. So they couldn't see that the Bible was, could give any light. Or Ellen White's counsel, 
didn't, didn't agree on that one either. Or whether or not ministerial ordination should include male or female. We completely sharply differed. However, it was, uh, and so the conclusion, it was inconclusive. However, there were some agreements because there were some people that said, get rid of ordination completely. Why do we need it? And so we studied this out and uh, we did reach, reach a high degree of accord concerning the biblical theology of ordination. It agreed about ordination as a practice in the early church in the New Testament. So yes, it is biblical. So we cannot simply say, get rid of it. <coughs> and then here are the conclusions from this, that Seventh-day Adventists understand ordination in a biblical sense as the action of the church in publicly recognizing those whom the Lord has called and equipped for local and global church ministry. So yes, it isn't called that uh, the church affirms this, that those people are clearly called to this office. And keep in mind, local and global. So that means that if you ordain somebody here and the person travels to Africa or Asia, can do all the things what an ordained minister should do. So when North America requested an exception for them, it did not just affect North America. It affected the whole world. So therefore, we have to be united. You see the point? So if you decide, okay, go ahead, then we all should go ahead and not say, yeah, you go ahead. But if you finish, if you, vi if you visit Europe or Africa, no, 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 you have no authority. That is impossible with a system. So secondly, it, uh, that while ordination contributes to the church's order, it neither conveys special qualities to the person for introducing a, a kingly hierarchy within the faith community. So when you're ordained, you have not suddenly superior powers or holiness or whatever, no. You're still a minister with gifts, but you are not dominating or have kingly power over anybody else. See? So that is what we agreed on. Because the Catholics, if you are ordained by the Catholics, then you raise above everybody else. And you have special privileges and precious things that you can do, and nobody else in the world can do this. <coughs> so that is what the results were. The Theology of Ordination Study Committee had three positions. They came up with three positions. Position number one, only men can be ordained throughout the world church. And that is nothing new. I mean, that is how what we have been doing since 1844. The new view was then, the position number two, 
women ministers may be ordained according to the will of the entities responsible for uh, hiring pastors. So every conference, every, uh, every union could decide whatever they want, but free game, ordination, there's nothing that prohibits this, that could be done. Then position number three. Position number three is a compromise between position number one and number, number two. It supported the headship or uh, leadership of the man in home and church. However, in special situations, exceptions can be made for women to be ordained. So if there is a need, go ahead. <coughs> so here then, the task report was presented to the 2014 Annual Council. And what was the report? This report included three theological and biblical interpretation reasons for conclusions on each position. Tosk suggested three ways to go forward, but did not make a consensus recommendation concerning the practice of ordination in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So here you have it. Three positions. Pick what you want. Uh, of course, you know, then you have to bring it to a vote. This was presented to us. And so ordination then finally comes down to how should we interpret the Bible? Because every position says we are based on the Bible. We are based on the spirit of prophecy. And we are in harmony with the 28 fundamental beliefs. So what are you going to do? Here are the church members. Each one claims to follow what our standard is of the truth. Now, is this possible? You know, that is what you have to quickly. So that is what we had to vote. And when it was voted in San Antonio, it was a denial of the request of North America. And why was this denied? Because we felt we should go together. And not one division does this and another division does this. No. Because of the world implications. And of course, uh, North America and some of the other divisions were not happy about it. There were 13 divisions voted. Four divisions wanted to have the ordination, nine not. Nine says we have to discuss this until we are in agreement. Now you said four divisions of the nine, that is quite a bit. But those four divisions have not more than 10% of its membership. While 90% of the world's membership is outside of those other divisions. So you can see here that the majority of our church members of the world churches know we are not going to do it. Now I introduce you 
to something very important. How do we interpret the Bible? Because that is crucial. And not just sit in the pew and let have the pastor do it. No. You need to take care of this. How, when your Bible studies, how can you come to a, a solid conclusion? So I give you here an example of the Roman Catholic Church and then the Protestant movement and where we are a part of it. The Roman Catholic Church and the Bible interpretation. The Roman Church and the Bible interpretation in the Middle Ages was as follows. Of every text, there were four ways to interpret. The literal, which is the plain Bible reading. Then the second one is the allegorical that allows, that shows what a person is to believe. Then the th third one is the moral implication, the moral meaning, what is telling me what we should do about this text. And finally, the anagogical sense is what they are hoped to do, what we are hoped to do. So you can see here if the priest explains text in this way, where is the certainty? This fourfold method of interpretation of the text had a confusing influence on the believers and took away the certainty of its meaning. To give you an example, the fourfold meaning of the Sabbath. The literal is that you, that there is a rest day on the seventh day. That is what we would follow. But, if there's an allegorical meaning, what does it mean? Ah, it shows that we are to believe in a spiritual rest. Which is a little different from the literal. Then what about the moral meaning of the Sabbath? Oh yes, we must rest one day of every week. And then the anagogical sense symbolizes the future millennium Sabbath rest. In the future, again, there is a millennial rest, but not now. So you can see here that if you have this approach, the fourfold method of looking at the Sabbath confuses people about the need to keep the seventh day. See, so in other words, as a result of the Catholic way of looking at things, things became very, very uncertain. And then, of course, the Protestant movement rose up, our Protestant heritage, and they rejected this fourfold interpretation completely. So this is our heritage. And see here in regard to biblical interpretation, how comfortable you will feel now with this. And this is crucial. If you study the Bible, are those principles guiding you in the study of the scripture? If not, you have a problem. And so the principles of the Bible interpretation by the reformers removed this uncertainty. The Bible is the norm for faith and the authority 
the Bible and the Bible only. Does that resonate with you? See? What is the norm? What is the authority for our life? The Bible and the Bible only. Secondly, infallible revelation of propositional truth. Propositions of truth. Let's see the, the, the Ten Commandments. has ten propositions clearly there. Are they infallible or not? Yeah. See, that is what the reformers believed. We believe that too. Prayer is indispensable. For the Bible is clear and sufficient. As a result of the Catholic approach, things became very unclear. But this, the Protestants took away. The Bible is clear and sufficient for salvation. Not that you know all the prophecies, but that it is clear and sufficient for salvation. Is it? See, if you give a Bible to people, are they being lost? No. The way of salvation is described. And then here, interpretation for everyone. In the Catholic world, it was only the priests, the bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and the final authority, the Pope. What did the Protestants do? They gave the key to salvation in the Bible when it was translated into the common language to the people. And so everyone has now access to the word of God. Isn't it marvelous? So the Protestant movement gave him tremendous freedom and liberation to the common people. <coughs> then also the focus on the little sense, not the fourfold sense. Yes, there's a little sense and sometimes a spiritual meaning, but no more fourfold interpretation. The Bible stories are accurate history. No room for evolution. No. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, pure history. Clear. Then, Christ-centered approach to the Bible. All these stories, all the chapters have something to say about Jesus Christ. In the life of Moses, there are things that reflect in Jesus Christ. Abraham, David, Solomon, all of those personalities reveal something beautiful about Jesus. And we have no difficulty. In fact, Luther said in every page of the Bible, Jesus Christ is there. Then, Scripture is its own expositor. So you don't need to read the whole book how to interpret the Scripture. No, you go to the Bible and learn from the Bible how the Bible writers interpret this scripture. Isn't it beautiful? So the textbook and handbook of Bible interpretation is the Bible itself. Then, analogy of scripture principle, compare scripture with scripture and typology. So if there is one passage that is difficult for, let's say, about the sanctuary, then you go to another passage of the sanctuary and see how plain it is. And then the more difficult understanding, 
can be supplemented by the easiest understanding. And then the need of the Holy Spirit in the study of the Bible. So, are you comfortable with those principles? Are you? <laughs> Some of you, now you know, this takes time to observe it and whatever. And all those presentations will also be available through your pastor. So you can go and sit down and go over this and over this. And if you have still difficulties, you ask the pastor. So what about now Adventists? And we come down to the great Advent movement of the 1840s on interpreting the Bible. And those are crucial. And you will see here, if you carefully look through those things, that what we believe today is very similar to the Protestant reformers. So we are the continuity, friends, of the Reformation, of the Protestants. We are not a Johnny come later, one of the new religions that has all kind of funny interpretation. No. We stand on the head and shoulders of those who, who the Lord uh, used. The great Advent movement of the 1840s on interpreting the Bible. And here is a statement here of the great controversy, page 335. Ellen there. The word of God was to be the only testimony accepted by the preachers of the Advent truth. The Bible and the Bible only was their watchword. And if everybody among us, Seventh-day Adventists, believes this, we have a chance to be united. Here again, uh, the principles of how to interpret the Bible are explained by William Miller's Rules of Biblical Interpretation. See my book on foundations of the Seventh-day Adventist message on page 299 and uh, 300. This, is in the, this was in the library of the pastor. This is the book that I wrote on the foundations of the Seventh-day Adventist message and mission. Now, if you go there to page 299, what did you see there? You see William Miller's Rules of Biblical Interpretation. There are very few books in our, you know, that we have published. This is all William Miller's Rules. This is one of them. And you can still get this book through your ABC. Uh, and it is published by Andrews University Seminaries. No, Andrews University Press. And you can also get it on the internet, uh, on Amazon.com, uh, for used copies and whatever. But here you find then Miller's rules of interpretation. And uh, the Adventist pioneers on biblical interpretation. Here you find a statement by Ellen White in Councils to Writers and Editors, page 145. Quote, we in Advent in 1844 took the position that the Bible and the Bible only was to be our guide and we are never to depart from this position. So that seems to be quite solid. Is there is confusion? Elamite says clearly, the Bible will have the answer to any controversy. And why do we have now three positions? On the Bible, 
and each claims to be the truth, and yet contrary to each other. That doesn't make good sense, does it? So we, are, you know, so you see how important this is, you know, because you are faced with this, and this is public information. It's not something that I found in a secret corner. No, you go on the internet. And you take the results of all those things. They're all there, friends. <coughs> now, let us look here what Ellen White says of William Miller's interpretation rules. And here you find it. She says, those who are engaged in proclaiming the third angel's message are searching the scriptures upon the same plan that Father Miller accepted, adopted. In the little book entitled Views of Prophecy and Prophetic Chronology, Father Miller gives the following simple but intelligent and important rules for biblical study and interpretation. This comes from Review and Herald, November 25, 1884. Now, if we, and then what she does in this review, she selects a number of them, five points. She endorses those rules. Every word must have its proper bearing on the subject presented in the Bible. Every word. Then, all scripture is necessary and may be understood by diligent application and study. You see here? It's the whole scripture that needs to be consulted before you can come to a final conclusion. But every word also. So it is the immediate context of a passage, a chapter, a book, and the whole book. You see that? The immediate context and the larger context. So that nothing escapes. That's how you study the Bible on difficult subjects. Nothing revealed in Scripture can be or will be hid from those who ask in faith, not wavering. Is it marvelous that the Lord affirms us, you know, it will be good. If you consult me in my book, you will find the solution. Now, remember, the Bible will be studied throughout eternity. But everything that we need about salvation and how we should live you know, is there. It's not only about the mind, but how you should walk, how you should walk with Christ. Then the next point. To, understood, to understand doctrine, bring all the scriptures together on the subject you wish to know. Then let every word have its proper influence, and if you can form your theory without contradiction, you cannot be in error. See? All the scriptures together and every word. Beautiful. 
But if you cannot form your doctrine and there are problems, then you have to study further. So it is the harmony, the harmony. And that's what we have to look for. And then the final rules he says here, Scripture must be its own interpreter, since it is a rule of itself. If I depend on a teacher or a minister to expound to me, and he should guess at its meaning, or desire to have it so on account of his sectarian creed, or to be thought wise, then his guessing, desire, creed, or wisdom is my rule, and not the Bible. See? So very important. So this puts the burden on whom? On you. No excuse anymore. My pastor, you know, if you're in the judgment, says, oh, Jesus, sorry, you know, my pastor told me. What is the weight of that kind of thing? Has no weight with it in the judgment. But I said, you know, Lord, I follow this because you said it in your word. Then you speak the language of Jesus. Isn't it beautiful? But it put the responsibility upon you. And not anymore, you cannot anymore have any excuse. Except, Lord, I was too lazy. Ah, the, the late night show, Lord, I, 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 I like it. So what? What is the late, life, late night show in Scripture? What is that? The first word and thought of the day and the last one should be with the Scriptures. Don't you think so? And so here it is. So you can see here how practical the, the, all this stuff is here. And so Ellen White concludes, quote, The above is a portion of these rules in our study of the Bible, and we shall all do well to heed the principles set forth. Servant of the Lord gives us that, and there we are safe. <clears throat> and so what is now the SDA position on interpreting the Bible today? Because, you know, we want to be very, very practical. We had difficulties in interpretation. You know, the more scholarly the education becomes of our schools, you know, the more you have to, people want to see, uh, be clear on those things. And so in, a, in 1989, we produced a document of eight pages. Now, William Miller was only two pages. This is eight pages. It was voted, it's called the Rio Document on the Annual Council there in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, here it is. And this is the conclusion and summary of the document. The methods of Bible study document. Anybody has read here this document? If not, you know, you go to the pastor. 
By the way, you refer to William Miller's rules. Did anybody read William Miller's rules? Ah, I see a few. Your pastor, I'm sure, can also provide you with those things. <coughs> you know, I, I'm a professor that being used to give assignments. I like assignments. Of course, here I have no control over you. Because you can say, oh yes, yes that is, uh, Dr. Damsey said it, but uh, I do my own way. In class, I have control. It's nice. And if the students want to escape a D, and they want to have an A, they better follow my counsel. But I tell you, my counsel will help you in walking with Jesus. And so here then is the annual conference. And this was stated here. It, uh, it promotes the historical grammatical method and warns against the historical critical method of biblical interpretation. Even the modified use of this method retains principles of criticism which subordinates the Bible to human reason and is unacceptable to Adventists. So this then deals with the historical grammatical method. And if you read the document, then you know what the, docu what the historical grammatical method is. And it is a beautiful document. And uh, it clearly states the Bible is the, quote, clear, infallible revelation of God's will and his salvation. The Bible is the word of God, and it alone is the standard by which all teachings and experience must be tested. What do you say? You know, that is where we stand. So it is a solid document. And... Uh, for many years, there was no discussion about this document. <clears throat> it deals with Bible study and its presuppositions and methods, which is very helpful. And quote, this is from this document, this statement is addressed to all members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church with the purpose of providing guidelines on how to study the Bible both the trained biblical scholar and others. So this was an, really a call from the General Conference, uh, annual council, for us to study this. And you will not be disappointed if you read it. <coughs> the second time, it is, uh, it is important to stress that these guidelines of interpretation are for all people, all members. This perspective is endorsed by Ellen White. Quote, the Bible was written for the common people as well as for the scholars. And it is within the comprehension of the scholars. Comprehension of all councils on Sabbath school work, page 23. So this is a marvelous, as she says, you know, Everybody can comprehend this in regard to salvation. Quote, she continues, the Bible with its precious gems of truth was not written for the scholar alone. On the contrary, it was designed for the common people and the interpretation given by the 
common people, when aided by the Holy Spirit, accords the best with the truth as it is in Jesus. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 331. Doesn't it inspire you, you know, that here this Bible is within the comprehension of myself, my wife, my children, the whole family? Beautiful. And yet to many, this has been on the shelf because it is so difficult. No, the Lord has given Ellen White to release the mysteries of the Bible and to give us confidence in stepping forward in the Bible study. <clears throat> now, recently at the Tosk, what did they do? They decided that uh, the many divisions said, you know, why this special committee by the General Conference? Why we have to want to have our own? So, the General Conference said, yes, every division can, can get his own committee. And so the North American division got its own committee. And they studied this. And when they looked at this document, they said, that is a very nice document. But we need to adapt it. Now think about what is now going to happen with the North American adaptation of this precious document. And of course, you know, any document can be imperfect. So let's see what now the North American uh, study committee decided to do. And the reason that they say is, now listen, the methods of Bible study document was written and voted 27 years ago. And as such, it does not address whole new movement of biblical, biblical studies which the last 20 years we have seen. Interesting. Something is 27 years old. What about the spirit of prophecy? A hundred years old. Now should we not adapt it also? One step further. What about the Bible? 2,000 years old. Shouldn't we adapt the Bible also? Can you see the reasoning? So what is now the new adaptation? Because you want to know what it is. And it is, is not what I say secret. I mean, it is, it is in, on the internet. It's all there. So, what is this now? Focus is now of the adaptation. One, <clears throat> thought inspiration, consider that the Bible is both a divine and a human. And of course, the more you focus on the human, you can see that there are inconsistencies, mistakes, problems. So this is what they address. But thought inspiration has been with us because we haven't said that every word is inspired, but the men and the prophets are inspired. And they express it in their own language. So thought inspiration is a part of us. It's not something new. 
what you seem to be indicating here. Then the historical approach. The use of extra biblical, historical, and cultural sources. Understand, to understand the text and grammar and sentence construction of the document. So, the weight then of all kind of scholarly productions outside of Adventism become now a part of interpreting the Bible. Extra biblical or outside the biblical. Third, it affirms at the same time three authorities, the Bible, the writings of Ellen White, and the 28 fundamental beliefs. So all of those things led to the American committee to decide we have to adapt this document. Now there are two ways now to interpret scripture. The World Church today, the General Conference, the historical grammatical method. But now the new approach of the North American Division is called the principle-based reading method. So the one is talking grammatical, the other one is we deal with the principles. That is the NAD. Okay, the historical grammatical method is the plain, natural, literal reading of the words. The other one is the principle and the trajectory method of scripture accounted for. So what is the direction that the scripture goes to? Genesis, Revelation, no, Genesis, uh, Exodus, you know, all the, this is the Old Testament, and now you get in the New Testament a new revelation, and where did it lead us? And it leads us now to a new understanding of the scriptures that in the past we did not have. So let's see what it is. <coughs> the, uh, the historical grammatical method, the North American Division says, this is the preferred method by opponents of, war, of women ordination. But for us, we use it a principle-based method, and that is what is preferred by the proponents of women ordination. So you see here now what determines now the development of a new interpretation. Women ordination. Women ordination. So we continue. They are both diametrically opposed, the conclusions. One says women can be ordained according to the principle, and the literal says no, you cannot. So here it is. Which method should we use? The NAD TOS committee says both methods are within the broad range of what the methods of biblical study document opposes, approves for Adventist Church. So both methods are okay. Okay. So let's see here. A plain and literal reading strategy would be sufficient to understand most of the Bible. But, yet, the committee believes that there are 
occasions when we should employ the principle-based reading because the passages calls for an understanding of the historical and contextual setting. So in other words, D. World Church, the way they do it, that is in most cases okay, but not in all cases. In other ways, when it is difficult to understand. So I give you an example. And we spend hours, hours in the committee. And I suggested, you know, why don't we study now 2 Timothy, the second chapter? An elder needs to be a husband of one wife. We studied hours and hours and hours. And there was a major conflict because it is difficult to understand this. A husband of one wife. So then you need to take the principal approach. So let us go on. The text determines which methods may be more appropriate for interpretation. So it depends on the passage that you read. So we go on. Text or reader. Because who determines which text is difficult to understand? The reader, not the text. The text is not something neutral, no. And so here you are. You have major problems. Which methods should we use? The North American Task Committee, it says, the general rule of thumb is that when two or more interpretations are claimed for a passage, the one that works within all information gathered should serve. Yes, we agree. All passages, William Miller said, Ellen White said, every text, every, in the whole Bible, we should look at it all. So, there we go. What, how do those methods compare? Second Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And that was also, we spent hours and hours and hours on this. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to observe authority over the man, for Adam was first framed, formed then Eve. So there is a division of leadership. And why? Because of creation. The creation order. Who was created first? Adam. So this, my friends, is before sin came into the world. There was a certain order. So, the historical, grammatical methods that is used by most of the church members, and then the principle-based reading. The historical grammatical method is Paul explains the relationship between male and female before sin and shows that there was a difference in roles before before the fall. So in other words, male and female, there was a complementary relationship. 
There was not a competitive relationship, but a complementary relationship. This. And therefore, uh, that was before the fall. Now the other method says Paul addresses only local situation in Ephesus. Before sin, there was a total equality in nature and functions. Adam and Eve were both rulers. They were both priests in Eden, which they made a sanctuary. The Garden of Eden is a sanctuary. So there it is. The one has universal applications. The principal approach has local, only Ephesus. Paul was dealing with a problem in Ephesus and has no application anywhere else. You see the difference. And therefore, the prohibition that Paul says in male and female does not apply today because it was for that time. Okay, the historical grammatical method. This is Adam was formed before Eve in the order of creation and God designs him to be the leader. Application universal. The principle of process, Paul opposes the Gnostic heresy that was associated with the goddess Diana, that the woman was created first. Application, local, only in Ephesus, for Ephesus to fight heresy. Now, I have done quite a bit of research, and the statement that, the, that in the Ephesus church in Paul's time, there was the understanding that Eve was created first, is absolutely nonsense because there is no historical evidence. You have to wait 150 years later, at the end of the second century, a Gnostic heresy where you find it in Ephesus. But there is no evidence that it was in the time of Paul. Pure speculation. And so if it is pure speculation, you don't give notion to it. It's simply a universal principle that Paul states. See, so I just give you an example of the two methods of interpretation and how the one then allows for women ordination and the other one says we go by the Bible and it is not there. And if we go ahead with women ordination, then we should go all together and not the NAD go by itself. And you know, this creates a tremendous tension about what? About biblical interpretation. Yet both claim the Bible and the Bible only, but not both can be justified in saying, I go by the Bible only. But they go not. It's not there. And so you can see here how many of our own church members are confused about it. And I'd like to share this with you because you know where the issue is. Is it by the Bible and the Bible only? Evaluation of the methods of Bible study document. The issue, how two opposite methods of interpretation leading to opposite conclusions 
on women ordination to be approved by the SDA standard document for biblical interpretation. Because both methods claim methods of Bible study document. So how can that be done? Where is the problem? And so then we go on. Both of them claim this document of eight pages. And yet, there is the conflict. The issue is, who becomes the ultimate decider of which interpretation to use in a given passage? Bible is no longer the arbiter, but the human being is. It's a human interpretation. Who? Historical grammatical method, this is what the world church follows in the methods of Bible study document. The historical grammatical method that deals with the history, the validity of the history and the grammar on the Bible, upholds the Bible as the supreme standard and authority of the truth. The methods of Bible study document claims that the Bible is clear, infallible revelation of God's will and, has, and his salvation. The Bible is the word of God and the alone is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. Conclusion, everything needs to be tested by the Bible. This means that the document is in full harmony with the historical grammatical method that the Bible is the final authority in determining what is the truth on women's ordination. So, what is the value of the Bible in solving great controversies? During the 1880s, when the Adventists involved, were involved in major controversies, Ellen White emphatically stated, quote, it is the word of the living God that is to decide all controversies. What? God's word. She explained, quote, the word of God is the great detector of error. To it we believe everything must be brought. The Bible must be our standard for every doctrine and practice. Is ordination not practice? See? This is coming from the 1888 materials, pages 44 and 45. The value of the Bible in, great, in solving controversies. The spirit of prophecy considers the Bible as the only true objective authority of history. Ellen White says that, quote, in the Bible, here only can we find a history of our race unsolid by human prejudice or human pride. So it is objective. It is not Peter's opinion. It is not Paul's opinion. It is not the gospel writer's opinion. No. Genesis, clearly, it is objective. It is unsolid by human prejudice. When the Holy Spirit worked with inspiration, they were not subjective testimonies, as many of us, many Christians believed. The value of the Bible in solving controversies, she continued saying, the Bible 
lifts up the far distant past where human research seeks vainly to penetrate. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 596. The Bible judges non-biblical research because that is specifically what the, what the North American Division says. We need to use those sources. And I have no objection that you cannot read those sources, study those sources, but how are you going to evaluate? Conclusion, the Bible is the best source to evaluate and judge the validity of all non-biblical, extra-biblical sources. The historical grammatical method precisely sees, uses this principle. Now, let, let's look briefly at the principled methods of Bible study moment, uh, movement and the methods of Bible study document. The principle-based method includes principle-based contextual, linguistic, and historical and cultural settings, strategies. At the heart of the biblical research, these methods includes the use of non-biblical sources. The method of Bible study document also recommends that the Bible students quote, in connection with the study of biblical text, explore the historical and cultural factors. Archaeology, anthropology, history may contribute to an understanding of the meaning of the text. Yet, it clearly states that the Bible is the final judge over these non-biblical sources. See? So no matter what, the North American Division Study Committee indicates that we can use those. Do they use the Bible as the final authority? And that is nowhere spelled out. So again here, the conclusion is that the principle-based contextual approach uses the non-biblical writings and findings. However, it neglects the methods of Bible study document stipulation that the Bible is the standard by which the correctness of these sources are to be judged. Consequently, the text is interpreted by conclusions of non-biblical sources that allows room for reading the text in support of a women or the nation interpretation. And that's what they use. Yet are they going by the Bible and the Bible only? That is not true. Conclusions of the two methods of interpretation. It is impossible that both the historical grammatical method of the world church and the principle-based methods that are recently being introduced are in harmony with the methods of Bible study document because their conclusions are diametrically opposed. Only the historical grammatical method is in harmony with the methods of Bible study 
because it is guided by the Bible and the Bible only, making the Bible the final authority and judge of all sources outside of the Bible. The principle-based method claims to have as its authority the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But these are not the final judge of its conclusions. The historical grammatical method reveals the misuse of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy by the principle-based reading. It's absolutely a misuse. Now, this is another one that they have said. We have to use the redemptive movement interpretation. It was for them, the Council of the Bible, but what about for now? It sees a conflict between the biblical council in the New Testament for that time and it should not be for now. There's a total different culture, total different scholarship. And so here then, the NAD task committee concluded it is necessary to find a set of principles to distinguish that which is transcultural from that which is cultural because the Bible is written in a peculiar space and time. The Bible is culturally conditioned. So what is all the time valid, transcultural, or what is only cultural? And that is what, our, what the redemptive movement interpretation does. This means that we have to find out what components of the biblical text have ongoing practical significance and what components are limited in application to the original audience. Discovering this distinction can be done by adopting the redemptive movement hermeneutic that is based on life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is now the redemptive movement? That's a movement that redeems human beings of a certain cultural perspective. It's also called back to creation interpretation. So we have to go back to creation. At creation, man and woman experience total equality of nature and function or roles. Adam and Eve were the rulers. They were the priests in the sanctuary. The sanctuary was Eve, Eden. At the fall, women were brought into temporal, temporally submission to the man that was only to last till Christ comes. And when Christ comes, he liberates the woman from the man. Because of the redemptive 
Redemption through Jesus Christ. This Edenic equality of nature and function role was fully restored as described in Galatians 3.28. Then men and women are to function as spiritual leaders, elders, ministers, and pastors in the church. Their relationship is now reciprocal, which means there is multiple submission. So when the New Testament talks about the submission, then the men submit to the wife, and the wife submit to the woman. It's not anymore wife only and the men in the leadership. Paul's test statements about male headship and creation order are limited to local situations and have no universal applications today. Back to Eden. This approach looks at the redemptive spirit or trajectory in the text to discover what still applies today, God moves his people back to a fuller realization of his will for them. That is what is more righteous, equitable, loving, and just. It's also called the creation, fall, recreation back to the creation hermeneutic. From the perspective of back to creation order, interpretation of the Bible, Galatians 3.28 is vital. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This text shows that the gospel calls us back to the divine ideal which has no place for general subordination of females to males. So this is a very important thing. Now it's interesting that when Paul makes a statement in Galatians, many years later, he gives the order in the church that an elder should be a husband of one wife. Interesting. So Paul then backtracks? No. The statement of Galatians, and read it. This is your assignment. If you read it, it has to do with equality before God in redemption. The inheritance that God has for male and female. For each one of us, the inheritance is there. But it doesn't limit it in leadership. And so that is another hermeneutic, another principle that has been introduced again in 2014 by the North American Division Study Committee. Evaluation of the back-to-creation approach. This approach to the text is based on a presupposition that there is in the Bible a trajectory or progressive line in experience for humans from Eden to Eden, restored based on God's plan of salvation. There it is. This trajectory is taken as the key to interpret the Bible text to support a view of equality between male and female, such as Adam and Eve functioning as priests before and after the fall. 
So that is the key, friends, of equality. The incorrect assumptions that before the fall, that the relationship between Adam and Eve was of a nature to complement each other, but one that was of total equality in nature, with no distinction in functions or roles. This is a departure of the divine headship role and leadership role of man before the fall, as Paul taught in the New Testament. It shows again the misuse of the biblical text in support as an agency of support of women ordination. And many of us hold that relation is complementary. God has given men special functions, women special functions, and they together in marriage, they unite and make men and women better than being single. That is, unless God has called you to a single ministry. See? This is the ideal. And so I just wanted to show you what the new approach was that was introduced in 2014. Yet on the committee of the North American Division, not everyone agrees. And there is a minority report that completely debunks this whole thing and says that is unbiblical. But they were a minority. And therefore, they had no voice at all. So this is what's taking place, friends, in our church. Will the SDA leadership find unity on those positions? Because they're trying now to find unity. Both sides claim support of the Bible and the Bible only and the spirit of prophecy for their interpretations. How can there be unity when both positions on women or the nation are diametrically opposed and supported by divine documents? Unity is only possible when we accept the position that in all our teachings are based on the Bible and the Bible only. And friends, this is causing a shaking. And many people, I mean, I can't, I can, we can't even, letters, what shall we do now with our tithe? I hate, I can't support this. No, I said, no, don't worry about who is in control. The tithe belongs to the Lord. You give it, don't divert it. In due time, the Lord will take care of this. And the position of the Bible and the Bible only will win. There is no doubt in my mind. But you know, sometimes the Lord allows heresies to come in. Well, to do what? To shake us up, to make us aware of where we are on the Bible. And so what will be the outcome of this controversy? Ellen White says here in Testimonies, Volume 8, page 41. In vision I saw two armies in terrible conflict. One army was led by the banners bearing the world's signs, the other ones by the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Standard after standard was left into the trail, into the dust. 
as company after company from the Lord's army joined the foe. And tribe after tribe from the ranks of the enemy united with the commandment-keeping people of God. See? Company of company will leave. But what is better? Tribe. Whole tribes will join God's people, friends. Because God's people in Babylon will see the difference. And if we compromise, we will lose all those people. Wouldn't it be tragic? Friends, we need to attract those people because this issue has divided the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, Church of God, all those churches. And they have separated it. And those people are now looking for a church that recognizes the Bible and the Bible only. Shall we compromise, friends? Shall we? And you know, this, many of you have not thought about those issues. And this will be made available. You have to pray for this. If you don't see it immediately, pray for it. But keep in mind that we were a movement of Adventists based on the Bible and the Bible only. And we will end up at the end with the Bible and the Bible only. Where do those strange tribes come from? From the followers of Babylon. Notwithstanding the spiritual darkness and alienation from God that exists in the churches which constitute Babylon, the great body of Christ's followers are still to be found in their communion. Not a few are dissatisfied with their present condition and are longing for clearer light. They look in vain for the image of Christ in the churches within with which they are connected. Great Controversy, page 390. Will they found the rescue in our church? Our witness about the Bible and the Bible only and the truth is in Jesus is the attraction for God's people in Babylon. E.G. White's position on the Bible? Quote, In our time there is a wide departure from the test, the reformers, doctrine and precepts. And there is a need for a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only, as the rule of faith and duty. The same unswerving adherence to the word of God manifested at that crisis of the Reformation is the only hope of reform today. What do you say? Great Controversy, page 204 and 205. Friends, this is it. We should lead the Protestant movement in the right direction instead of right, directing him to Rome. No, friends, this is our task. And we, and, and reach out to your, to, to your Protestant friends and tell them that Seventh-day Adventists are real Protestants and show them in prophecy and teachings that we are. Why Tosk did not solve the crisis? 
Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent on those committee meetings all over the world. Why did they not solve it? The delegates could not solve, could not unite because of the different views of inspiration and methods of Bible interpretation. All delegates were convinced that their position on women's ordination is based on the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Yet, the world church uses the historical critical, historical grammatical method that takes the Bible as the final arbiter of its doctrines. This method shows that the principle-based methods of, of the Bible interpretation The only way to solve the crisis is to unite on the same methods of interpreting the Bible. That is the only way. Remember, this method shows that the principle-based methods is a misinterpretation of the Bible. And if we clearly realize this, then there is a hope that we need to change those things. The far-reaching effects of the different methods of interpretation. <clears throat> Women's ordination is but a mere example of how the church is divided over biblical interpretation. It's only one aspect. Shades of evolutionary theories affect some. Some of our schools are affected by it. The LGBTQ questions lurk on the horizon. Music and worship have divided us. Discussions of the gospel, justification, sanctification, perfection, and victory over sin during the last generation divide us presently. But God will have a people. Quote, Great Controversy 596, 595. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrine and the basis of all reform. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus says the Lord in its support. End quote. What do you say? That is our platform, friends. And we need not to separate together, but we need to get together to plead and to be willing to change. And if the Bible clearly says that I'm wrong, praise the Lord. I need to change. But as long as it is not being shown from the Bible and the Bible only, I will not change. So pray for me. And I will pray also for you. And here are the documents. They're all there, available on the internet. And the methods of Bible study document you can find on the internet. And then the uh, hermeneutic of, of uh, ordination of women in the 
from the NAD, you can find that by Koshian. And then here on the bottom, you have the alternative minority report that was uh, documented and uh, I have used this also extensively. And so friends, this is the case. And the only thing what I think is that we need to be solid, be based on the Bible and the Bible only. Is that also your wish? Can I see the hands? That you go with the Bible and the Bible only. Praise God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.